Hey everybody, welcome to episode 25 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, I'm here with David Picciuto and Jimmy Duresto. What's up guys? Howdy, howdy. 25, wow. That I know. Quick. <laughs> I want to thank today's sponsor, um, Inventables, who are an awesome company that they make all sorts of stuff. They sell all sorts of uh, stuff for you to use in your projects. They sell 3D carving machines, lots of tools, lots of parts. And it's pretty crazy. You can go there and you can find, you know, aluminum extrusions. If you want to make some sort of crazy machine, you can find motors and gears. And then they have like conductive foam and glow in the dark this and glow in the dark that. It's all sorts of stuff. You, you know what they have too? And I just used it. Uh, you just reminded me. I um, They have printing blocks. So you can on, on your CNC machine, you can make a printing block. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I just printed a bunch of... Uh, product logos for a company and I left the trademark out, the registered mark. Can you guys see that on my hand? So I actually CNC'd a little registered mark in one of their one of their printing blocks. It's like the size of an eraser. So oh, I can nice. go back in because I left it out of the silk screen. So I can go back in and just rubber stamp it into the uh, product. Oh nice. Huh. So I did um, at, at Maker Fair a couple of years ago, last year maybe, I actually made a bunch of stamps and set them up by the CNC and kids could come by and like stamp books and stuff with them. Oh, it worked cool. out worked out really well. So I, I just yeah, ordered so. those little soldering things. I don't know what they're called. Oh, the sleeves. The, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I am terrible at soldering. And this is explain what those are for anybody. Um else. so instead of uh twisting some wires and putting some solder on there, what you do is you just it's a little sleeve, two open ends, and you stick a wire in each end and you just heat it up with a lighter and you're good to go. And that's it has I think there's some sort of solder in there and when you heat it up with the lighter it it melts and wow that's yeah. a cool idea i never saw those gonna use those on the guitar so awesome yeah right. so um go to inventables.com check them out tell them we said hi and that we sent you over there <laughs> stuff yep. so uh what's everybody working on are you working on the guitar tell us more about the guitar yes um i ran into some technical issues so we're going to resume the guitar build probably next week um, so that is, it's not done yet and it's going to be a two video, uh, process. I don't normally like doing multi-part videos because if you don't like the first one, you're definitely not going to watch the second one, but, um, I'm going to make this two separate. So there's going to be the CNC part of the body. And I think I'm going to do a full video on just finishing the guitar while mm. painting it with uh, rattle cans and then actually buffing it out with like a car buffer and the process there and the reason i'm going to separate into two videos is because the other one is going to actually take like a week to do um with the, yeah. the multiple coats of finish and, and everything so yeah i was actually thinking about doing uh refinishing a guitar one an old guitar at some point for a video too because i did one several years ago and it turned out really really well and it was um the it was like a sunburst like kind of mm-hmm. a, a honey sunburst and so there's several layers of you know color that you have to spray on and they overlap and stuff. So, is that why it's take why it would take so long for years? You doing uh, something like that? I'm not. I'm not going to do the sunburst. I'm just going to do the solid color. But gotcha. uh, each coat of lacquer needs to dry for uh, a, a full 24 hours, and then and then buffed and then reapplied. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's coats of lacquer before the paint is is what I'm what I'm reading. So, uh, it's it's a long, boring process. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And you could wet sand in between if you need to. And that's that's exactly what, what we'll be doing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. cool. And uh 
what am I working on? I'm working on a, a couple of behind the scenes things, kind of boring stuff. So I did a set of shelves this week, which um, I wouldn't do a video on. A video on, uh, and uh, I'm also doing like a 20 foot long trade show wall, which I am also not doing a video on. But if anybody follows me on Snapchat, I sometimes do a little behind the scenes thing in the shop, and I just talk about things that you otherwise won't see anywhere else. So if anybody's curious to find me on Snapchat, it's just my name, Jimmy Deresta. And uh, when I remember I have the app installed on my phone, I go and I do a couple of like a flurry of things. And then like two weeks will go by and I'll completely forget about it. And then I'm like, oh, I should Snapchat. And so then I do like a bunch of kind of interesting things. So I'm um, trying to do that more. And then um, what else? So I built a set of shelves this week for the George uh, Dickel truck bed thing. So that's moving along. And then my video, which you may have seen by now if you're listening, because it'll be airing Thursday, which is tomorrow. Uh, I did my Leatherman mod, which I made a, a new one. And, and, uh, so I made a quick video. It's only a five minute video, but it shows a couple of interesting techniques as far as welding and cutting metal and bending metal. And so, uh, I did that. That's going to be on make tomorrow. So that was a quick little video. No tips video this week. Cause David's, uh, on hiatus in Syracuse working on a job that he got with his dad. So Dave's out of the city for a couple of weeks. So until he gets back, I probably won't do a tips video, but that's it. Gotcha. I'm looking forward to the video on the on the Leatherman mod because in the photo and some people commented, it looks like you can't open it up the way it is. And so I'm, yep, I'm very, very can't. curious. <laughs> it's like it just opens like that. Oh, that? yeah. I'm showing the guys on camera how, how it works. Clever. And, uh, and it's dead simple. I, the reason I thought it would be provocative if I didn't explain how it works. So uh-huh. that's why I just put the picture up because I got a shot and I'm like, oh, wow, you can't even see that. So I'm like, I left it out. So. <laughs> interesting right. well if yeah. nobody has seen it yet go watch the video that's pretty clever yeah, yeah. So that was fun. as far as me i'm doing shelves as well um i did a, a set of like wooden shelves but they're built into a brick inset and so they're they're kind of floating within brick so oh, did that's, those, that's I, easy to do i've done that a few times because you could make the cut a little bit snug and hammer it in did you do that yeah, yeah well i just had to force it in but yeah yeah um, so yeah, I did that last week and then I'm actually doing another floating shelf of a different type for some friends of mine who just, uh, had a baby. So I'm doing one for his room, but it's an entirely different type of build. So I'm doing a video for both of them, but I think I'm going to have, end up having two shelf videos within a couple weeks of each other probably. But mm-hmm. you know, they're hung differently. They're constructed differently. They look totally different stuff. So oh, do that. That's cool. And then I, I did my first kind of log type video this week and Yep. That was all of Monday. It was pr- kind of cool because it was started Monday morning, finished at 5 o'clock on Monday. I mean, it was online and kind of done. So it was a kind of a new experience to do something completely in one day for me. Yeah. It was funny. In that video, you said, you. I think you looked at the clock and you go, okay, it's 1 o'clock and I still haven't done one thing today. <laughs> I say that to myself every day. I look at the <laughs> clock and I'm like, okay, it's 11 o'clock and I haven't built something yet. And yeah. I'm like getting anxious. If it's noon or one o'clock, I start getting really anxious and I haven't actually cut a piece of wood or glued something together. Because for me, that means progress. Yeah. You know, that, that physical action. It's but kind of, of the course, same way. And, and that's what I was thinking. But then, you know, somebody actually left a comment saying something like, well, actually, you have been doing work. It's just a different kind of work than what you're used to doing. And yeah, it, that makes sense. It's just a really different, you know, look at productivity when you think about like producing a piece of media versus like being in the shop and producing a thing. So, yeah, it's, it's funny cause I, I, I get anxiety when I don't have the material cause then all of a sudden I'm like, 
oh my God, I don't have the material. I need to do this thing. And so the behind the scenes and that physical, that non-physical stuff of like making the phone call, ordering the material, trying to pay for it, all that sucks up the day. Yeah. And, but once I actually do that, like I'm doing, I'm doing a project now with Brickface. It's going to be a, a facade of a sign is going to be Brickface. And that's been lingering. And I couldn't start on that sign because I don't have a sheet of faux Brickface. And I finally ordered one from a theatrical company in New Jersey. So they're going to send me a, hmm. a sheet of a phony brick face just to make the signage. And, um, but once I got off the phone and I was, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, that'll appear Monday in my shop. I'm going to deliver it and then I can get to work. But that, that mental anxiety of knowing I need material that I otherwise can't just go and get at the hardware store, even though that's not physical work, it also is mentally taxing. Yeah. You know, yeah. knowing you need something that you, that you, that's not a simple get. I guess that's the point of my story. That's why, but, I, that's why I like Amazon Prime so much. Two days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, it's so funny. I really got to. I got to consider using that more often because Danny, my my supervisor at my high school job, he always orders things off of Amazon. I'll say, "Oh, you can't get that," and he's like, "On the keyboard, he's like, it's here." I'm like, "All right, then order it there." I forgot. Yeah. I mean, not that I forgot. I I always forget to use it as a resource because I don't realize it's available on that stuff as much as it is. For instance, Amazon's always my first thought. Yeah. Yeah. Too. I have to start. I mean, I'm still. Living in the '80s, so I gotta catch up. <laughs> so, Bob, what's the plan with the vlog? How often is there? Is there a schedule? No, Curious. there's not, not a schedule. I, uh, I'm not really sure. I think they. I want them to be interesting enough, not not just like filler. So, I don't think I'm gonna do a schedule now. I think I'm gonna kind of save that the motivation there for when there's something something happening that I think is worthwhile hmm. talking about. You know. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'm going to do them on a real regular basis, but I'm going to try to keep my mind open for subjects that are that would be interesting enough to do. You know, so mm-hmm. it's not really a good answer, but that's you know kind of the way I'm looking at it now because I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to do it just to look at the camera and talk any more than I have to. You know, that type of stuff. But if if there's something that I'm doing that I think would be worthwhile sharing, then I'll try to capture it. Nice. Did you uh, did you ask the guys at the makerspace you met with if you could videotape them and did they say no or did you not think of it because you just didn't want to be intrusive? No, I um, I didn't really ask them. I just didn't think of it because it was kind of a quick meeting and they were you know explaining what they were doing and everything and um, it just there's not enough there to show yet. I think it's going to yeah. be a really awesome space, but they just nothing. They had the keys maybe that day or the day before to the space, right. Right. you know. So it's just getting started. So. Okay. Once it gets more up and running, I'm going to be doing some probably teaching there a little bit and like mm-hmm. helping out. And then, um, so we'll do some stuff in. And actually, we talked about possibly me um, doing a project video in their build out, like making them some tables, like some working tables that will, you know, have like fold down vices and rolling tables that'll lock together to make big tables and stuff like that. So I may end up doing a project video there and be able to introduce the whole makerspace through something like that. So. Very cool. It's cool. Though. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for them. You know, two guys that were like one of them's a teacher, the other worked at the college that I went to and uh, kind of l- led the industrial design lab. And they both just, you know, left their jobs to go try to make this thing for people to use. And it's, I don't know, it's really cool. It's cool to see them doing that and making that jump. So awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm going to introduce a topic this week. Um, uh, all three of us, in in one way or another, sort of uh, got hit up with this topic. And uh, I'm going to talk for a second about how I got hit up with this topic. William Lutz is a, is a a great fan of ours and a new friend. 
And uh, he wrote on one of my comments this week, he said, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. And that's a Pablo Picasso quote. And William associated that with me. So thank you for that. And then, uh, uh, David, talk a little bit about your experience with being a child this week. Oh, man. Um, Over the weekend, uh, Kelly and I went to the Toledo Museum of Art, and a buddy of mine was speaking on a panel. Uh, He makes this magazine that they put out once a year, and the topic of this panel was play, and the topic of his magazine was play, that um, he gets a bunch of artists. uh, He curates a uh, bunch of artists, and they submit art for this magazine and so the panel was all about play and and um and for them it was play in their art and then my wife and i were talking and she's like that'd be a great topic for the podcast because play is just so important in having fun and so i i've haven't really thought too much about this but I, i always try to have a lot of i i try to have fun in my videos and and what i'm teaching I think the last video that I just made, which was paper making and then printing photos on some homemade paper, I think that goes right along with with this play. So mm-hmm. um, it's just yeah, it's one of those childhood things that I got to do in junior high, and now mm-hmm. I'm figuring out how to have fun with it as a forty year old mm-hmm. adult. So yeah, the idea of keeping uh, that childlike playfulness in our everyday work is 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 really important, and I'm really good at it because I spent 20 years in the toy business and uh, playing mm. with toys, and literally like like there's the funny scene from the Tom Hanks movie uh, Big, where he's he's the kid in in a meeting, but they don't know him as a kid; they think he's an adult. But he's playing with the building, and he's like, "I don't get it. It's a building that turns into a robot. I don't really get it." Like, and that's a real kid's perspective in that meeting, and all those people were so uptight that you could see how they all lost that childhood playfulness and, and their ability to just literally be playful. Hmm. And uh, so that's such a funny scene that I could identify with because every time I was ever in a toy meeting, even before I saw that movie, it was the same thing. It was just like immediately playing with something. Like we open the box, immediately tear apart and play at it. So, And that's, that's the sense that I, I've, I've been able to keep with a lot of the tools that I get now because the minute I get a tool, it's like it's there. I play with it. I start making mistakes with it on purpose to see like where it goes wrong and, and – uh, I still have my X-Carve. I'm going to start digging into it this week. I, I'm really sorry that I haven't gotten to it sooner. But since my West Coast trip, my whole life has been just one big to-do list. And I'm just literally knocking things off the list a little bit at a time. But um, the uh, the idea of playing with these new machines, like the, like the new 3D printers and, and the CNC machines, and and uh, you know even even if it's like liquid rubber or or the like the whole smooth smooth cast lineup of products uh, that I use on a regular basis. Uh, it's just keeping the playfulness and having fun with that is is really important. You know, keeping that childlike curiosity alive. And um, uh, actually, so I can identify with one thing this week. Uh, a fan from Switzerland sent me an Arduino already pre-programmed with two servos and an accelerometer attached to it. And uh, he 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 wrote me a note and said, "What's your what's your mailing address? I have a present for you." And uh, he I opened this thing up. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, I, uh, you know, I'm going to take the advice I told my dad. Don't worry, you can't break the computer. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> let's just assume this is like an iPod and I can't break it. So I plugged it in. I plugged it into, I had a, a, you know, a Mophie. So I plugged in the uh, USB port that's attached to it. It's literally wired, hardwired to it. And then these things started wiggling and moving, but I don't know what was making it move. So it was almost funny to me. I'm like, okay, something in this is making these servos react. 
And I couldn't figure out what it was. I, and I kept moving the accelerometer around, but I was moving it at a diagonal, which was making both of them move. And then I realized after a few minutes, if I move it in one physical like XY motion and XY, it would make one or the other move. So he had it programmed in a way which took me a few minutes to figure out. And so now I basically have the skeleton of an invention without the invention. So <laughs> now I have to go back and, and like hang an invention on this, and uh, which was so nice of, of, of this guy. I, I have his name on the envelope to send me this thing and just basically like he, he can tell from my videos that that playfulness is, is sort of uh, intuitive with me. So he's like, here you go, have fun. So when I wrote to him, I was like, what, what exactly? Because I, I had it plugged into the Mophie, but it, he said a Mophie wouldn't be strong enough, just plug it straight into the wall. And then once I plugged it into the wall, I got a much better reaction out of it. So, um, so keeping that childhood thing is, uh, you know, how do we do that? How do we keep that alive? And what do we do? What do we play with? You know, uh, Bob, any thoughts on this before I talk too long? Yeah, well, I mean, I have kind of a, you know, I guess a different, advantage here because I'm surrounded by kids all the time. So <laughs> yeah. um, I would I would say that is an advantage in keeping the playfulness in my, just kind of how I approach stuff. One, because when, so four kids, they all have very different personalities. They all do things in a different way. They all have different interests. Um, and they're all interested in making things in certain ways. My third youngest is named Hawk. And he can make and wants to make anything out of anything. So he's the kid that, you know, we have our recycle bin and we put things in the recycle bin that are not dangerous. So we, you know, put glass or anything in there, but everything else goes in there. So he starts there. He goes to the recycle bin and he finds cardboard, egg, you know, cartons, whatever he can find and starts taping them together and making stuff out of it. That's right. And He's actually, in, in the way that he does that, is a pretty big inspiration for me because he's not looking for, I want to make this certain thing this certain way, and if I don't make it this certain way, it's not going to work. That's yeah, the thing just, that... He's just looking for opportunities. Right. He's looking at materials and saying, what can I do with these materials? And that's like right. totally opposite of what we often do in the shop. You know, we, we go in and we say, I want to make this shelf, and it has to ha use this type of joinery, and it has to have this type of finish, and... I have to get the items to make that happen. And if it doesn't happen how I want it to, then it's, you know, incomplete or it has to be redone or whatever. He's he's totally the opposite direction where he's like, what can I make out of two cardboard boxes and, you know, a paper towel <laughs> tube, you know? <laughs> and and the and the things that he sees in those that he makes are mind-blowing. You know, this is a laser gun rocket spaghetti shooter, you know, stuff like that. It's just like <laughs> I want one of those. He's yeah. in a totally different, you know, spectrum. So it's I have the advantage there of being able to watch him and my other kids too in their own ways. Um just just play. Like they're making as as the kind of evidence of their play versus the other way around. And and that's pretty awesome. Also, I um this past week I, I did kind of a text interview, like a email interview with um uh, a lady that I met in Chicago and she runs a website called themakermom.com and uh she does a lot of like STEM stuff, you know, getting kids interested in, in technology and, and all this stuff. Anyway, it was, it was a interview for father's day. And one of the questions that she had on there was how would you, how would you convince or help a father with no making experience who wants to make stuff with their kids? Like how would you tell them to go about getting started? And that was actually kind of tough for me to answer because it's just, you know, 
I'm not that person. I'm, I'm the one that's already doing it, trying to figure out how to get my kids to do it. And um, the thing I kind of landed on was that the kids are always going to have the better ideas for exactly what you said, Jimmy. You know, they're, they're the ones that don't have like the, the realism shoved down their throat for 20, 30 right. years. They're always going to have the better ideas. So my advice was to talk to the kid, find out what they want to do, and then figure out how to make that realistic. Right. And how to make how, to, how do you make a spaghetti shooter? Exactly. You know? So yeah. Not, with no making experience, he could literally pick up a handful of spaghetti and just throw it at the wall. But then he could also work backwards and put it in a slingshot, figure yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And that, so, that, doing that with a kid would be incredibly fun. Yeah. So I, I think there's a you know a big opportunity there to just look at, even if you don't have kids, I mean, yeah. just to look at things from that perspective. Like, what do I want to do? And then work, you know, reverse engineer that idea rather than, you know. The well, other. That, that reminds me of a time when I, when I was, uh, so I was in my senior year at the School of Visual Arts in 1980, 89. And um, I took a little class called Toys and Games. And I had no idea what to expect. I'm like, oh, you know, I like playing with stuff. And that, that decision literally changed the next 20 years of my life uh, because I met Mark Seta Ducati, who was my teacher at the time in that class. And one of the first days, uh, Mark actually went on to become a good friend of mine, and I talk about him in some interviews. Um, Mark's a, a magic inventor, and he's invented a lot of magic products and also a lot of just mm. regular toys. And um, one of the first days in class, he came in with big shopping bags, and he said, okay, everybody push all the tables together. And we pushed all the desks together to make a big island in the middle of the room. And he just dumped out these two shopping bags. And in the shopping bags were plastic tubes, popoid arms, balls, plastic cubes, all kinds of stuff, bottle caps. And, like, and then he, he popped out like five hot guns and said, everybody, you got two hours to invent the product. And we just <laughs> went to town. And it was so much fun. Like that moment, I remember that moment as like being pivotal in my, I was like, oh, wow, a pile of junk. You know, I mean, I kind of knew it, but he just basically just put a light on it and said, this chaos, there's hundreds of, there's endless amounts of ideas, good, you know, on the spectrum of horrible to very good. Find them within this pile of junk. And, you know, and it, the limitations are your own, you know, your own limitations that you put on, you know, your own inhibitions and stuff. But if you could just be play, playful and have fun with it, just talk glue things together and try and come up with stuff. And, you know, by the end of the two hours, there wasn't any real groundbreaking inventions, but we had a lot of fun. And, you know, what is this? It's came up with perverted things because we we're all college students. Some, you know, some <laughs> practical things, some stupid little games, but that that in and of itself is basically the reason why my shop is such a mess. I mean, that particular day, I always think to myself, you know, the visual associations you make when you just look at a pile of junk is is hard to predict. And so, when this is leaning next to that, and then you see you see a piece of plastic next to a piece of metal, and you go, oh, I can make something that's metal and plastic. Mm. You know, whatever whatever the problem that needs to be solved that day. And you know, if you leave your mind free and easy enough to to be able to play with those ideas. And uh, you know, my bar cart video this week, I literally knew that I wanted to put something as a handle holder. I thought about you know welding up a piece of steel at an angle, and I thought about a couple of things. I could try this, I could try that. And then I'm like, I got 600 old wrenches lying around. Why don't I just cut one in half and have that be like the two hands that hold the bar? And so I came up with that idea. It didn't seem so brand new to me, but I'm like, you know what? Let me go. It just seems right. And then when I saw that that S-shaped wrench, I was like, oh, wow. One thing that was playful and fun for me was like, oh, wow, this is an S-shaped wrench. One thing that I didn't realize, aside from the fact that both ends are two different sizes, it was a completely symmetrical object. You cut it in half and you have the exact same shape twice. 
Mm. And that was like, a, it, it's so stupid. But like when I made that discovery, I looked at it, you know, off camera, I just stared at it for a second and I'm like, oh wow, this is a completely symmetrical product. If I cut it right in the middle, I'm going to have two exactly the same shapes. Mm. And so that's why on camera you see me cut it in half and then I hold it up. It was a little off. I obviously grinded it so that they were both the same length. Um, and then when I welded it to the cart, one mouth was wider than the other. But, you know, like... I didn't want to get hung up on that. I didn't want to say, oh, the bar has like more airspace here than it does there. It doesn't matter. You know, I think the idea of just using a wrench to me was seem more, more fun and more playful. So I just went with it. And so, I mean, that's, that's how like these, these thoughts and, and uh, practices manifest themselves, you know, you, that you could see in, within my videos. And so it's, you just got to keep, you just got to keep looking at the chaos and try and find the product in there. I really like that. So many times I'll hear, uh, other people say that I'm just not a creative person and I'm not, I'm not good with design and, and coming up with ideas, but play can lead to a lot of creativity, yeah. which then yeah. leads to happiness. I mean, it just goes back to our previous episodes of what makes you happy and being creative. I think it all starts with play. Mm-hmm. And, you know. I think there's a big part of it too is at least for me, like I've said before, I'm, I'm very much a function over form person. Um, and so a lot of the things that I do, I think of them very from like a utility perspective. You know, it has to it has to function. It has to do what it's supposed to do. And the tendency can be if you if you just have a lot of work to do, the tendency can be for me to just get those things functional and just, just move from one thing to the next and be functional and, you know, whatever. But I'm trying in the last couple of months to leave some space in my project schedule for some stuff that has no function. That's just like. You know, it's purely for the sake of doing a, I don't want to spoil what I'm working on, but for doing this thing that has no use other than owning one of these things. Um, I mean, that's kind of like the uh, arcade that I've talked about doing. You know, there's there's no reason that I need to build that arcade. It's not, I'm not selling it. I'm not going to do anything like that. But it's just one of those things that it's, it's a toy. It's a gigantic toy. And if I can make time in my schedule, which I haven't done yet, to spend time making something that's of no real use, then that's gonna it's gonna do me good in a lot of ways. So, you know, even though we often have to just make stuff to get it out the door to make the money to survive, it's probably a good idea to schedule in some time that's just for the sake of, you know, making something I, yeah. that's useless. You know, I tell my students every semester, I said, you know, don't wait, don't wait to hang something on an assignment. The teachers are all going to give you something to do, whether it's design a package for this or you know develop a, a corporate identity for that. But if you have the impulse to make a, a lamp out of paper mache, just do it. Don't even don't even like wait and don't say, oh, well, that doesn't fit into me being a graphic designer. That's how you develop your playfulness, your inventiveness, and your skills. Uh, you know, on top of all, and your ability to kind of think outside the box. So, I always tell my students, if you have, say, for instance, you have twenty assignments due in a semester, you know, make. 30 or 40 things, hmm. physical things, so that by the end of the semester, you have just that much more knowledge and, and, and it'll just make your, your development so much more rich and so much more fruitful ultimately in the end. I mean, I see so many students, they just sit around and they just wait to be told what to do. And of course, you know, the world's full of different types of personalities and those are the people that'll just get like a regular nine to five job. And then you see the people that are more aggressive and that are like, oh, I can't wait to figure out this material. And, you know, they're talking about different types of artists that inspire them, you know, so I encourage them all to be on, you know, the other side of the spectrum, you know, where you're constantly being uh, inspired and playful and inventing things. And, and I also tell my students, too, don't, don't, 
don't underestimate the fact that you're all inventors. Even if you're just coming up with invented images, is that you're all inventing new things. So, you know, you're inventing a way to take a photograph. You're inventing the composition of that photograph or that film or that motion graphic or that 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 logo corporate identity. So, you know, if you think of yourself as an inventor in that way, you you begin to really kind of break outside the idea of just doing graphics. Because I say that as an example, because the majority of my students are graphic designers, but a lot of them go on to be makers. You know, in the true sense of the word, but. Uh, so yeah, I, I I I told you guys I had the opportunity to teach high school students this this year, and I just really had a, a wonderful experience yesterday. I got to watch my my students, so Danny's students, who I go and I consult with, to they each one had to do their presentation uh, to you know to the sharks. They did like a Shark Tank type of pitch hmm. of their product and their their corporate development, and so so just to to back up, the students each got. Uh, there were teams. There were six teams, and each one of the teams had several students on it, maybe up up to five students. And they had a they had to come up with a corporate ID. They had to come up with a corporate uh, intellectual property, and uh, they they had to develop the product and the pitch and the marketing and everything. And so they each went up with corporate identity, with branding and everything, and the product, of course, which you know involved a lot of electronics. And but they were they were wonderful inventions. Each one of them, in their own right, could have been could be a real product, and they are a real product. It's just obviously not on the market yet. But um, you know, putting the kids through that exercise, which was uh, Danny Aviv's uh, brainchild, was I thought was amazing because the kids got so much out of it. Um, they got the time to be playful in the beginning, but then once they started going down certain roads, they had to kind of narrow and focus these inventions. But you know, they're in high school, so they have the time to play and, and continue to play. Yeah, that's something so, too. I mean, it was fun. this is totally just because you said high school. <clears throat> I think. I don't know how we would do this as a society, but I think it would be amazing if we could somehow make high school students understand the awesome opportunity that they have. <laughs> because, you know, they're in a position to where they're, most of their needs are being met. They have generally more freedom than they're ever going to have for the rest of their lives. They have fewer responsibilities. They have, you know, kind of disposable income probably if they have like a part-time job or something. And they spend seven or eight hours a day in a place that's just focused on teaching them stuff. And if we could somehow make them understand like how incredible that is, could you imagine if we, if us as adults, as where we are in life right now, somebody was taking care of all that stuff for us and we just got to spend eight hours a day learning. Oh my gosh, what in the world? You know, that'd be so awesome. But I mean, I, I, you know, as a teenager, I know that there's no way we're going to be able to make them fully understand the you know, you need, there, but you know, there'll be a time when you could, you can hop on a time machine and you could take them to, you know, the, the ghost of Christmas future and the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you could say, "Here, remember when you were an infant? Now, here, look, here, you're a 45 year old, whoever or whatever, and these yeah. are the things that you wish you should have done." You know, so yeah. But you know, until the time machine exists, we just have to use our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> so, something that I noticed whenever Jimmy's not talking, Jimmy is playing with something. So he's yes. either got a knife in his hand that he's playing with, or a little bit ago it was like a like a looks like a litter to something, and then you're yeah, playing with Taylor your hair. Was- Taylor, Taylor yeah. was here. She was playing with the lid of a. Well, she wasn't playing with it. I'm playing with it now. It's the lid of a yogurt. <laughs> so, and it's made out of polypropylene. So it's funny because you could snap it inside out. Look, it's different shapes now. See that? I, just I love that. Inside. 
Yeah, I, I, I see the kid in you whenever you're not talking. You have to, yeah, you have to be doing something. You're playing while we're recording. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> I, that used to drive my dad crazy. And when we were kids, whenever like we had like a family meeting, I was always playing with something. And my dad would walk over and snatch it out of my hands and slap <laughs> it on the table. Yeah, I, I probably do that too. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, I am who I am because of my dad. Because he also is the one who put, you know, chisels in my hand and hammers and let me play with a bandsaw as an infant, you know, so. As an infant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's where you no. picked up these techniques that people complain about in the comments. Yeah. Yeah, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, using it as an infant with like no motor skills, you're just like, yeah. I'll... <clears throat> Another thing I was thinking about in regards to this topic is just, and we've talked about this in regards to failure before a couple of times, but just expectations. Um, you know, if your expectation of your work, no matter what that work is, if your expectation is perfection, then you're almost doomed to not be happy with what you're doing, with how it comes out. Yeah. And I think that kind of works into, so say you're at a, at a point where you're trying to come up with an idea for a project. You want to make something for your house or a video or whatever the case may be. If you start with the expectation of this thing has to serve a certain function or this thing has to produce a certain amount of money or, you know, you're setting your expectation really hard up front, mm -hmm. um, then you're not going to look at the process and you're not going to look at the outcome in the same way as if you're starting out with like, I really want to figure out how to do a thing or I really want to make a thing that, you know, makes me enjoy being outside or makes me enjoy being in the shop or whatever the case is, you know. So I think by setting your expectations really hard up front, you might be doing yourself a disservice and like kind of boxing yourself in. But if you can kind of offset some of those expectations, just be... <laughs> Jimmy's playing with stuff again. I love it. Magnifying glass. Yeah, but you can, you know, offset some of those expectations and give yourself some freedom, you know. I think that is a good thing. Well, that's what I, I, I tell my students all the time and I have the philosophy of like, you know what? I'm kind of like stalled on getting started on a project because I can't find like the right path or, you know, I don't have a clear, solid idea. I get started and then I make it. And if it's something that doesn't come out the way I want, I learn all the things I need to change when I make it the first time. And then I make it again. You know, like the, the assignment that I give my students each year is the, the book bind. And book binding is very difficult if you've never done it before. And, uh, you know, literally I'm learning, I'm starting to see that when I first started teaching 20 years ago, everybody learned how to use an X-Acto knife and a T-square. Now there's no reason for kids to use an X-Acto knife and a T-square. So when it comes time to actually cut a book cover, they don't even understand what a right angle is. So I try and give that simple lesson of, you know, here's, this is a T-square, this is a right angle, this is the way you use a razor blade. And um, so the books come and, you know, every one of them looks like they're from the Stone Age. You know, occasionally someone gets it right the first time and it looks really good. And but they're all they all seem so defeated, and I'm like, you know, please don't. This is the first time you've ever done it. You, you mm. got to just do it again, do it again, do it again. The guy that pitches a, a fastball, he only, you know, he didn't pitch a 90 mile an hour fastball the first time he threw a ball. You know, when you see someone play a guitar, they've never done that before for the very first time. You know, there's very few people that could do these things really good the first time. So just keep a, an open, playful mind and say, you know, oh, let me see the mistakes I made, see if I can use those mistakes to my advantage, see if I can actually use any of these mistakes to something that becomes like a new product all in on about, uh, or a new, you know, corporate identity all on its own. You know, so uh, I, try, I try and tell my students to look for those opportunities, you know, in their infancy when it comes to, say, for instance, bookbinding. 
which is you know a complicated thing. So uh, if you mess it up the first time, do it again and again and again and again, and that's how you get good at anything is repetition. Mm. Never stop playing. Yeah, that's it. No, keep having fun and you know learn how to cut a straight line in the process. <laughs> and kind of, I mean, kind of with that, like I know I always mention Legos. I don't always, but I have mentioned Legos several times. But I, I sincerely think that it's one of those things that even a grown up without kids should, on occasion, have a box of Legos and just sit down and, and like just play with them. Don't we have a we have a bag of Legos in the workshop? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great just. Even if it's totally mindless and you're not, you know, you're not trying to produce a certain, like, you know, not trying to make a building or not trying to make yeah. a spaceship or whatever, just the act of like fiddling with them and sticking them together, it just gets your hands and your head in a different place than what you're you're used to doing. And so, I, I mean, and you know, if you don't want to go waste a bunch of money on them, I, you can go to thrift stores and usually find bags of Legos. Just disinfect yeah. them, and then you're you're good to go. <laughs> but <laughs> You know, Live dangerously. Don't disinfect them. <laughs> oh, there you go. Play with danger. No. I, Actually, I'm going to order Legos off of Amazon right now because I think that's such a brilliant idea. One yeah. more thing on my desk for me to fidget with yeah. and play with. Yeah, you know, I've you guys got... are going to laugh. Right in my backpack now, I have one Lego, one cube that I took from Make a Fair last year in New York. I found mm-hmm. it on the desk. I have one red cube. And every time I see it, I'm like, there's nothing to stick it onto. It's just one alone. I'm like, that'll lead to something. So it's still in my backpack. Hmm. Don't step on it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's why I keep it in the backpack. <laughs> yeah, but I would suggest everybody have, you know, even just like a small package of them and just like put them on your desk, fiddle with them when you're watching TV or doing something else. And, and you know, anything else like that. Rubik's Cube is another good thing that even if you don't know how to solve it, when you start turning one enough times, you start to see patterns. Like, I can move this thing to this position, even if it doesn't help you solve it, doesn't, you know, actually make any progress. You start to understand that like a path can set, you know, A to B. And if you fiddle with it long enough, then you're gonna start being able to do things on purpose. And stuff like that, I, I think can like carry over into, you know, your actual work and your actual projects, I think. I've got this thing and I don't even know what it's called. Um, I'll see if I can put it in the show notes. My brother sent it to me for Christmas, and it's like there's four different uh geometric shapes in there's like a, a pyramid, a uh, kind of cube, a rhombus, and some crazy trapezoidal thingy. And there's like 20 of them. And if you fit them all together, they make a sphere. But only oh, if you wow. get them all in the right position. And, other, and they're all magnetic, so they all stick together. So you can make whatever crazy shape you want to, but if you can get them aligned correctly, then you can actually make, you know, you can be intentional about what the shape is. But it's one of those things that I, if I wasn't careful, I could sit here and play with for an entire day and you know nothing useful would come out of it except i would be trying to solve an unknown problem for a long time which i think is really good you know oh i I, mental exercise is extremely important and solving useless problems is is part of that it's part of that exercise like like trying to put this puzzle back together yeah for sure i'm looking at legos right now and the the ages on there it says ages four to 99 Yep. I don't understand that. Like, what happens when you turn 100? You can't play with Legos anymore? Well, your vision is just so bad that it's oh, just Oh, okay. That makes sense. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> we, just, we just offended our 100-plus listeners. Oh, yeah. They're, they're a big part of our demographic, so that's kind of a problem. 
Yeah. Well, um, you guys got any other thoughts on playfulness? Well, I would just say, just you know, if I can, if I can offer any advice to listeners, and it's just, it's just, you said when somebody asked you how a how a father who has no experience making things could could encourage kids to make things, and that's the reason why I brought up my my first day of toys and games class, where the teacher came in with bags of junk, just like you said, just dump out the, the recycle bin, you know. Kids love cardboard tubes. You could even make cardboard tubes by rolling up paper, and you know, just arts and crafts for to get kids going. You know, and, and get and thing, if you if you don't have the experience of making things, and just start playing with arts and crafts, paper and tape. I mean, think of all the things you could make with a roll of, you know, masking tape and a newspaper. Yeah, like I said a couple weeks ago, my kids got into the making art thing, you know, and so now it's every day it's pom poms and googly eyes and you know, popsicle sticks and glue, lots and lots of glue. So, yeah, yeah. but even, you know, doing that with your kids, even if there's no kind of purpose, no goal to it, is huge. Oh, another thing, I um, this is uh, this is not a product placement thing. It's just something that I get a hold of this weekend. And it's called um, make uh, Maker Kits. Make, I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember exactly what it's called. But basically, it's a um, system of pieces that connect together and the idea is that you use um, paper towel rolls and boxes and stuff like that as the structure, but you use these things oh, for, as the connectors. Yeah, as the connectors and as axles and as gears. Oh, cool! And so it gives you like the components to wrap around, you know, kind of stuff you have around the house. But you can, and actually, there's a picture on my Instagram. My son made a a a, a box with like a pasta box or something, but it's got a winch like an arm coming off the front of it with a little thing that you can turn and it winches up a hook. <laughs> and this is all just out of this little kit, you know. So even if you if you need some components like that to help you kind of visualize, you know, that type of play, um that's a pretty inexpensive little toy kit to to help you do that and take advantage of the stuff in the recycling bin. Hmm. I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember exactly what it's called, but you know, I I, I another just another point is is always keep a hot glue gun plugged in. Just if you want to just glue something to something else, and all of a sudden you have like a new object, just hmm. do mashups. You know that's another really good way to keep your playfulness going. Is just do physical mashups. Hot glue one thing to another thing. You could always take it apart if you needed to, but just having hot glue always ready because if you have an impulse, you're like, oh, this would look cool there, and then all of a sudden you glue this to that, and you're like, oh, that's that gives me this idea, and it gives you the idea to just keep playing. Hmm. Also, don't give yourself too many options. So don't, if you, if you have a huge shop and you've got wood and tools and supplies everywhere, don't think of how you can use everything. Just limit yourself to a few things. Um, I do this when I go out and shoot photography. Like, I'm only going to take this lens. I'm going to leave all the other lenses at home, and I'm limited yeah. to just this. And that forces me to to be creative with, with what I have. So limitations. Yeah. Speaking of lenses and cameras, um, this is totally off topic, but I, I was thinking about it earlier. Have you started shooting anything with your new cameras, Jimmy? And has that, if so, has that changed the way that you have been filming stuff? Uh, yeah, well, I, I've been keeping my 7100 that I got from David um, on the tripod, and I shot the the whole Leatherman thing I shot on it. So there's like a lot of intimate thing. And I kind of like the idea of kind of looking for the focus. So that's in there too. You know, not to get too, uh, too uh, what is that other channel that I don't like? 
<laughs> Vimeo? <laughs> to Vimeo. <laughs> I have to get two Vimeo on everybody because I'm not photographing the dust intentionally. But I am doing a like, soft focus on some stuff only because the lens is really tight. And uh, I like that. So I'm getting into that kind of a look. And then on the, the bar card video, I mixed it towards like the second half of the video. I just had that camera set up for the other shoot I was doing, so I just started using it. So you, you'll see it; mi- it's mixed in the uh, in the bar card video, uh, the, and you could tell because the colors are all really off. <laughs> I, I had the I didn't have the uh, the white balance set correctly, so I yeah, I try to color correct it, and so it gets a little funky if you don't if you like really off. It's really hard to bring it back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. So um, you could tell like where I'm starting to grab the wheels, and then of course some of the lathing stuff is all done with the seventy one hundred, which I'm loving it. I'm really really excited to use awesome. it. Awesome. Has it changed? Has it changed how you look at making the videos at all? Like just uh, having the different capability. Um, I mean, I, I just one thing I was missing and lacking is the intimacy of like really getting into a shot. I mean, I love the wide angle, and I use it like I probably overuse the wide angle on my Canon. I have a the little Canon Vixia Mini X, which is basically like a GoPro with a screen on it. So I, I kind of overuse that, but that's because it's easy. And mm-hmm. but there's sometimes when I, like I think I'm up on the product enough, and then I look at it and it's out of focus because I'm too close to it. You know, but so just having the intimacy with the zoom lenses is, is fun. Is really is really cool. So, the Leatherman was a perfect project because the Leatherman basically fills the screen the entire time, and, gotcha. and that's you know I, I'm always considering that square, that little square, yeah, whether cool. it's small or big. And uh, when you watch the Leatherman video on a big screen, it looks pretty good. Nice, nice. looks really cool. So, well, I yeah, want to I want to hear what um what we're all watching, but before we do that, I want to say uh, thank you to Ed McNeil, Kirk Fry Frey. I'm so bad with names. Why do I have to do the last names? Anyway, <laughs> those guys uh, gave us donations this week, and I'm really grateful to them and uh, Luis Gonzalez, Jeremy Paulin, Jeremy White, and Juan Vargas from Patreon. They're our, our top supporters over there. Awesome guys, and uh, everybody at support at, at a Patreon that supports us. Uh, really amazing. Also, want to thank our sponsor for this week, Inventables. Go check them out if you don't already know about Inventables. Uh, inventables.com they're great people as well so before we go where can we find out about everybody and what are we watching David you can find me at drunkenwoodworker.com and my channel suggestion this week is Crimson Custom Guitars this guy um, you don't have to be a guitar maker to enjoy this channel Um, if you're a woodworker, you're going to get a lot of awesome tips. And it's just, there's some really awesome, creative, playful things going on in this channel. Like right now, he is, it's a multi-part series, but he's taking a guitar kit that you can get for like 150 bucks. And it comes with all the pieces and basically you just put it together. But he's making, um, he's taking a cheap guitar kit and making it great. And so he's, he added a, like a maple veneer over the t- over the top and he's strengthening some things. And then if you're a musician, you might know what, what a uh, chaosolator is. It's just kind of like a noisy little thing that you can play with your nice. fingers. He's yeah. building it into the guitar. And Sweet. That is so cool. So that is cool. Uh, Crimson Custom Guitars. Good, fun channel. The guy that, uh, before we go on to Jimmy, the guy, um, I can't remember his name, Matt something from Muse, the band Muse. Mm-hmm. He's always had those things, those chaosolators and chaos pads built into his guitar. And there's this one guy. I'll have to find the guy that makes his guitars. It's amazing the type of electronics that this guy shoves inside guitars that are still playable. Uh, but it's kind of like that. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, uh, I've been uh, I've been a, a longtime fan of Blazing Nail Gun, uh, aka RednecKDIY.com, 
but his YouTube channel is Blazin Nailgun, B-L-A-Z-I-N-G-N-A-I-L-G-U-N, Blazing Nailgun. And it's Freddie. And uh, Dave, you featured him when he made the, the vintage pulley, didn't you feature oh, him once yeah, a few yeah. weeks back? Yeah, what a yeah. crazy, awesome project. Like, no yeah, one ever, yeah, would ever are... think to make that. Yeah. Yeah, he's in Eastern Tennessee. I, I found him because I was watching him build his barn a couple, like about a year ago. And then we started talking, and, and he's a super nice guy. And um, so I'm watching him, and uh, I'd like to give my plug this week to my sister, Kathleen, who's a jewelry designer, Kathleen DeResta online, or K. DeResta Designs. And she's in uh, Seacliff, Long Island. So you can actually walk into her shop in Seacliff if anybody lives in Long Island. Nice. So, and then you can Google just DeResta. You'll find out about both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, um, I've been watching a lot of um, this guy named James. I can't Barton. I can't remember his last name, um, but his channel is X Robots, and he's in England. And he does these like crazy suits and robots. And he's like, I don't know if anybody saw uh, the newest Avengers movie, but there's an Iron Man suit that's called the Hulkbuster armor, and it's this gigantic Hulk-sized Iron Man armor. And this guy's making one. I just I just opened up and that's and, how you heard the intro. <laughs> that, cool. that he can get into and and it's like all you know it's three D printed panels and these foam panels and it's all weathered and painted and there's electronics in it. I mean it's it's a huge undertaking, and I think the video the newest video is like part thirty two or something. You know it's like a lot of video stuff. Is he three D printing <clears throat> all this stuff? This not, is insane. Not all of it, but a lot of the pieces, a lot of the framework. One of the things that he's working on right now that I'm really into is. It's one of the. It's not R two D two, but it's another one of the R two droids from Star Wars that I won't. The square head. Yeah, I won't like geek out and explain exactly who it is or anything. <laughs> but um, he's he's three D printing the frame for that entire you know life size robot, and he's printing it in sections and gluing it all together. It's all remote control servos and the legs and then the head and R six droid. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> amazing. At it. He does it's some insane. some really cool stuff. So. Insane. If you guys are interested in electronics or you know, kind of big costuming or robotics or stuff like that, um, really cool. check him out. So, and then uh, just one more thing: Did you guys ever see the movie? I got, uh, I saw it this week. Print the icon. It's the whole story behind. It's an old movie now. It's on uh, Netflix. It's called Print the Icon. It's the whole entire history of uh, MakerBot. Up oh until, yeah, like, a year yeah. ago. I've seen Print the Legend. Is that? That's probably what it is. Yeah, I'm, printing I'm the legend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's probably. I know I had it wrong. Yeah, that's an incredible movie. I just saw it. So if anybody hasn't seen that, you guys are. Yeah. I'm. I'm still living in the '90s. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you watched you it on VHS. Like, yeah, what, are you, what are you talking about? We saw that. <laughs> no, it's it's, yeah. it's a fun it's a fun documentary to see the yeah. the rise and and fall. So good stuff. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that'll do it for this week. I want to say. Uh, you know, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there listening. So yes. I know I get emails from a lot of you guys and um, talking about that you enjoy listening to this while you're in the shop and doing stuff with your kids. And so that's awesome. So I'm, I'm glad for that. And happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Yes, absolutely. And happy Father's Day to you. Oh, thank you. Cool. Well, that's it for this week. See you guys next time. Later on. <laughs>